welcome Adam to the Shadow Playground. We are going to be talking about all things money and we have you a couple's financial coach here today. I'm very excited to be diving in. Thank you for having me. If you were to receive an extra $1,000 right now, what would you spend it on and why? Ooh, that's a great question. Probably something food related, a food experience. That's really what uh, my wife and I most enjoy. Two years ago for my birthday, we uh, went to 11 Madison in Manhattan, which is a Michelin starred restaurant. And uh, we're both vegan. This I'm coming up on 10 years vegan and that place wasn't always vegan, but changed during the pandemic. And uh, we got a chance to reserve a table and go experience that. And it was pretty special. And the cost was right around there. So maybe another visit to 11 Madison. That sounds amazing. You know, I wanted to have a guest on this podcast speaking about money, because when we're talking about a life of vitality and playfulness, often that requires a bit of money. And often there's a lot of shadow, a lot of blockages, a lot of uh, difficulty arriving to that place of financial abundance. So perhaps you could give just a bit of an introduction to, uh, to listeners, what, what you do as a couples financial coach. Sure. Um, well, first, I think you're absolutely right that there is a lot of shadow there. And it's also a difficult area where people don't always have everything in order. And kind of implicit in that is that there is both a tactical, like concrete element to money in terms of to pay the rent, you need the money in the account, right? If you don't have it, you don't have it. And there's also this very human, emotional, spiritual, however you like to think about it, side of things. And there's overlaps between the two. Uh, but a huge part of what I do as a couple's financial coach is bridging that gap, is helping couples work as a team, get on the same page and feel good about things. And that is a mix of we have to know where we're at, where we want to get to and how to get there, tactical, strategic, concrete. Uh, but we also need to have a little bit better of a grasp on our relationship to money and the elements of our shadow that are at play there. And, you know, it's not that it's bad. Uh, you know, I'm not a person who tries to demonize the shadow. I try to understand and welcome the shadow as much as possible. Of course, easier said than done sometimes, right? But uh, it's more like, okay, this quirk I have around money, where does it come from? That helps me identify when is it showing up. And when it's showing up, I can stop and say, is this aligned for me? Is this really what's best and the direction I want to go in? If it is, great. If it's not, Okay, that's also great. And, you know, what else could be a possible route to go? And uh, in my work with couples, it's really each person grows uh, and they also are able to better understand the other person, which is is truly a game changer. Well, it sounds like that self-awareness is a huge piece that we could be very much having sort of almost like a blind relationship to money without really thinking, what are my patterns? How what's my relationship? to money and how, what's the way that I actually want to be um, relating with it as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I think this is true of many aspects of our lives that we have these relationships and we're kind of unknowing and just 
following whatever patterns. Uh, money, I think, is particularly uh, uncomfortable for people because it's a taboo topic, because it really impacts your everyday in, in concrete, discernible ways, uh, because you can't pay the rent without the money in the account, right? So I think there's a number of things that make money seem different, and it has its own quirks, but at the core, I think it's very much still that same kind of human endeavor where we acquire our point of view based on our experiences and what we've learned and watched from those around us. And, and until we kind of interrupt that pattern, the pattern often dictates a lot of what we do. Yeah, it's like we have that that default, that default route that's there. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways that we can use money to have fun and, you know, have a life full of vitality? What are some of the ways that you see people using money to enjoy? Yeah, um, listen, I'll be real with you. That's not, as far as you talk about defaults, for me, that was not my default forte. And it is still a work in progress. Uh, I give credit, of course, to some of the work I've done and, and the coaches I've had and the other financial coaches I've been around, but really a lot of it to my wife, who uh, is very responsible financially, but also knows how to enjoy appropriately. And um, man, for me, it's like I talked about food and experiences before uh, travel. The only reason I didn't mention it with a thousand dollars as much was because I have a kid coming. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're waiting till uh, he's here and then gets all his vaccines and whatever before we, we travel again. Uh, but that's for me. And then for my clients, of course, some of the same, but, uh, buying back your time and energy, I think is a, is a really great one that I've seen a lot of people doing as far as, you know, whether it's a meal prep or, uh someone helping to clean your place or whatever uh, that you can be buying your time back uh but even more fundamentally perhaps some of that sense of security and peace of mind from having a rainy day fund uh, emergency fund some money kind of set aside and also knowing that you're on track towards your goals uh which of course often in this case we're talking about money goals so money is involved, uh, that can give people a sense of peace of mind and a sense of confidence and perhaps a sense of freedom if you get to the point where you know where you're at and you've got your buffers and safeguards in place. And, you know, if a job isn't working for you, for example, then you can really be upfront about that because if you end up getting let go, it's okay, right? Because you've you've protected yourself. So it really depends person to person what our like most important associations with money are, right? Fun, freedom, safety, security, uh, status, uh, you know, success. Uh, we'll have some or all of these in different uh amounts right depending on our particular mindset uh and even though those things are kind of our defaults in many cases money still helps with them uh and again it's just about 
bringing some of that awareness so you can really understand, okay, you know, is this thing really aligned for me as best as possible? You know, what's my best guess? And then keep on learning and growing so you can be more intentional with the dollars you're already working so hard to earn. I really like how you are tuning into the deeper needs. It's not just the money or the vacations or the travel. It's like, no, it's the security or the freedom, or do you feel like you're on track towards your goals? And those things, they're so important. I think it really speaks to why money is such a sensitive topic because it has the possibility to give us what we most deeply desire in this life. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, listen, the question you asked before, it's like, I could say, okay, you know, fancy car, a nice house, you know, organic food, but, you know, people know that, right? But what's going on that they don't realize is, okay, what's the defaults? What's the subconscious stuff? Are they, do they actually allow themselves the freedom to enjoy and enjoy in a healthy way? Uh, Or do they restrict themselves and then binge? Or do they just restrict themselves so severely? I had a client once where uh, the wife, like I asked her what she wants that she doesn't need. And it took like three sessions for her to think of anything because she had buried it so far down, right? She was like, in her mind, it was like, as long as we owe debt, I cannot have anything I want. And once we opened that gate, it was, you know, just like a flood of things, right? She went from zero wants to six figures worth of wants in a heartbeat, okay? But sometimes even people suppress them for whatever mix of reasons. And so, uh, yes, it's like there can also be those obstacles toward allowing ourselves to even really identify what we want, let alone do it or obtain it or experience it. Uh, I remember a financial coach colleague of mine once shared a post on social media. It was like, okay, if you had $10,000 right now and you had to spend it and you had to spend it on you and you cannot invest it, you can't save it, nothing towards the future, you have to spend it. What would you spend it on? And I was like, dang it. It took me like a week to figure out my answer because that's, like I said, it's not the thing that comes most naturally to me. Um, and kind of similarly to my client, once I got that first thing, it was like, oh yeah, all these things, right? Yeah, I would love to have like, a, build one of those like a portable saunas. I know my friend makes them and, you know, membership at the spa and, you know, like getting all these nice food experiences, whatever. There's a ton there. And I think this is true for pretty much everybody. I mean, you know, respect if you're really like that monk mentality and and you know minimalist and it's just you and your relationship to everything around you beautiful but most people uh who are kind of living in not in monasteries are there's material things that we do want or even if it's not material just things we want to be able to have or or do or to not do and money helps with all of that. I'm curious for, you know, your perspective on the different archetypes, I would say, around money. I, I know lots of people tend to go to extremes. 
So one is kind of, I, I won't spend, I won't, I'm going to save, 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 save. I'll never have enough. And then there's kind of the archetype of almost like, I want to live my life. I don't care my situation. I want to just get whatever I want. I'm curious, um, yeah, what what would be sort of a healthy uh, relationship to money in terms of the right balance between spending and saving? Yeah, you know, there's a lot in that question. And in as far as archetypes themselves, uh, different people have come up with different ways of explaining them or sharing them. Probably the most popular, they're called the four money scripts. Uh, and it's a lot of what you were talking about, you know, some people for whom money equals status and they can show how great they are, basically, for some people that money is the way to solve all every problem, everything you need in life, every issue you're having. Uh, and then the people who just like, save, 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 right. Um, and the way to have a healthy balance is not necessarily a tactical endeavor at least not in the first place because what's right for you or me is very different than what's right for kim kardashian or oprah or whoever right um because they have a very different financial situation so if you have you know, $10 billion, then going out and spending uh, 10, 15,000 on an Hermes uh, bag or whatever, no big deal, right? But if a family of four or five and your household income is 80,000 a year, let's say, then spending 10,000 on an Hermes bag that you haven't otherwise saved up for could be detrimental to your overall well being, if not now in the future um so the act what it actually looks like in practice is very 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 contextual i think what you were talking about with the archetypes though is really on the right path of like if you can start to understand your framework for money and how you relate to it then you can identify where those behaviors that you're choosing the purchases or not right uh where they're aligned with your values and, and what you're trying to achieve. And within that, finding the right balance. You know, I can't tell anybody what's their balance. For some people, maybe they think they're going to live a really long time, or maybe they think they're not going to live a really long time, right? Or maybe they really believe that where, what they're making right now is by far the least they're ever going to make, and they're going to make a ton more in the future. So they're okay spending more of what they have right now because they're going to have a lot more coming in the future, right? For some people, having more savings sooner is going to bring them a peace of mind that is really important because they deal with a lot of anxiety in general and around money, right? So it's really, it's very personal. And when you're in a committed relationship or marriage, it's so important for you to explore your own but also your partner so that you understand theirs because it gives you that much more information to make these good decisions um and as far as finding the balance i would say then it's a mix of that self-awareness and then kind of trial and error 
And it's a tough one to say because trial and error might sound dissatisfying because you've got one crack at life, um, as far as we know. And so it's like, well, if I screw it up, you know, I'm the one paying and dealing with it in my retirement. Yes. What I mean by trial and error here is more like, okay, here's a plan to achieve my goals. What if I went like the really kind of just skirting the line where I'm going to be able to increase my expenses as much as possible now while still meeting those goals? Or what is the least I can reasonably spend right now? And then I'll have some left over. Or what's kind of a middle ground? And maybe you try out a few different approaches and you see what resonates. And it's always kind of evolving anyway because your preferences change, your values change, your income changes, and uh, and your needs then can change as well or your wants. So uh, I think the best thing to do is really, like I said, that introspection, but then also just getting out there and trying it, you know? living life and trying to bring some light and awareness to the choices you're making, whether before making them, while making them, after making them, you know, the more you do, the more you'll find what's appropriate for you. Um, because balance, you know, depending on how one hears that word, it's not necessarily 50-50, like 50% spend, 50% save, right? It's, and it's more like, well, what is the right, balance for you right whatever those percentages actually are and i imagine that's easy what you're kind of getting at you're pointing to the fact that there's not there's just not one formula like it's each person needs to connect to their own values and there's that space to play to to try it out i'm wondering about uh, i'm thinking actually about a couple of people in my family that have i would say like a base scarcity mindset around money and they don't um it wouldn't matter how much they made and it wouldn't matter how it would never be enough yes. because there's a sense, there's a sense deep within, deep, deep within that there's just not enough and there will never be enough and there could never be enough. And I'm wondering, how do you work with someone when you're, you're trying to develop that sense of inner safety, which has been kind of knotted up with money. And it's at the point where even if they had $500,000 or even if they had a million dollars, it would never be enough because, well, what if X, Y, Z happened? Or what if the markets crashed? So how do you work with people when you're to, to switch to a, a, a deeper sense of safety around their finances or money? Mm -hmm. Well, the deeper sense of safety is one possible goal for the person who has that, let's call it anxiety or fear around they're never being enough. Um, that might be one goal. You know, when it comes to couples, what I tell them is just worry about understanding and supporting each other, even within those spheres, right? Because the way that I think about these things, it's, and not gospel by any stretch, is that like, you know, let's say you're someone where scarcity mindset is your default. And it's happening, you know, 98% of the time. Well, what if we could get it to 80 or 60 or 40 or 30 or 20, right? Maybe not gone forever, uh, but what if we can really decrease it, right? And you're not feeling as much of that anxiety, neurosis, whatever. Um, what kind of difference would that make? And, and part of this is that self-reflection, that self-awareness, understanding where 
your point of view and money comes from. So you can start to uh, untangle it and disentangle from it if you so choose. Uh, but specifically when I'm working with couples, it's also about feeling understood and cared for by your partner. So, you know, the person who is really tightly wound when it comes to money, it'll show up in different ways, right? Uh, one way is they exert, for example, a lot of control over the money. Uh, or one way is they are complaining all the time about what their partner's spending choices are. Um, well, imagine what a difference it would make if you're complaining about your partner, your spouse's spending choices, and they could understand that this is just a baseline fear and anxiety that you have, and it's not necessarily personal to them, you know, especially if like, hey, but we're, we're on track for our goals, you know? So when you get stressed and you come at them, instead of them feeling defensive and striking back at you, like, what are you talking about? You're being ridiculous. There's nothing to worry about. They could say, yeah, it sounds like you're feeling really worried about this. Like, let's talk about it. And they could have your back and make it okay to feel anxious, right? I mean, it's like, how do you turn your shadow into a playground, right? To borrow from the idea of the podcast. This is the beauty. And one of the things I love about working with couples is that you can really, really deeply facilitate that for each other in my experience. Um, to be able to have your shadow flare up and to just be received as you are and as you are not in that moment can really, really be a game changer because nobody wants to have bad money habits, single, married, whatever. Nobody wants to be doing these things that are... are you know, crushing their credit score, leaving them in a mountain of debt that doesn't have a good ROI. Like, you know, there's something else going on there. And compassion from your significant other is huge. Um, if you don't have one, you can also give that to yourself or create a space where you can get that from someone else. Maybe that's a coach. Maybe that's a therapist. Maybe that's a friend. Maybe it's a, a, a you know, group where you go, where people are wanting to work on their relationship with money. Um, but I'll tell you this, what you were saying as about for some people, it won't ever be enough. Yeah. Believe me, I see it all the time. Um, never enough in terms of that client who makes a million dollars and still lives on credit cards. Uh, so like tactically not enough and not enough like that client who has millions in the bank and a, business worth millions more and is still stressed about the grocery bill. Um, and, and those are not hypotheticals. Those are real clients of mine that I'm speaking of. Uh, so, you know, that is there and to be able to develop that capacity to slow down, to stop, to breathe, to examine what's going on for me. Um, that's that's where I go to, you know, um, certainly there's a lot of people who are fans of like money affirmations or, or uh, you know, different uh, rituals to call in abundance um, or even different like artifacts that can help with that. And 
for those people for who that re- for whom that resonates and it's beautiful go for it i really focus more on the let me carve out some time and energy for this for sometimes all all you need to do to actually break down that wall is actually sit down and take a real considered look at your credit card bill you know uh grab a piece of paper and write down each expense you did for the last month um and sure it's helpful to know where you're spending your money but that's not even why i'm suggesting doing it i'm talking about a no a moment for you to be aware of what comes up as you look at your expenses all the different feelings is there shame there is there defensiveness is do you want to withdraw and run away are you like you know feeling conflict within yourself are, are you feeling good about choices are you feeling bad about choices right why is it so difficult for you to do something like this in the first place if it's difficult um and just inside of doing that a lot of questions and answers may present themselves well like your invitation to connect to the compassion if there is that sense of scarcity within and the emotional side of things being present for one's emotions you know what what would be sort of the rough percentages uh you know when trying to create a healthy relationship to money well what i normally tell my clients is in 2023 we have technology that can do a lot of the tactical stuff for you and maybe even increasingly do some of the strategic stuff for you. Uh, And you can always bring in a professional, like a financial advisor to help you with that strategic stuff. Uh, But the emotional stuff, at least as of yet, we don't have a spreadsheet that can do that part, right? This, the spiritual, emotional, soul, whatever you think of it as like that stuff, we don't have a spreadsheet or an AI that as far as I know that can, really do that for you yet um so i think they're both important uh for sure but i try not to make it too much right you don't have to be an expert finance definitely has its like uh 80 20 aspects where it's like you know you do 20 percent of the learning and you get 80 percent of the way there if you just understand the basic uh, concepts of income, whatever money you're earning, expenses, whatever you're spending, assets, meaning items of value that you own, uh, and debts, meaning money that you owe, uh, and then being able to appreciate how those are all related and how your goals fit in with that, right? Including that it all else equal if you make more, but you spend the same, you've got more left over for your goals and that helps you achieve them more quickly. And of course, vice versa, if you make less and you keep your expenses the same, then it'll take you a bit longer to achieve those goals. Those are like the most important things to understand. And yeah, there's a, you know, a couple of things here and there about your credit score and making sure you can read a credit card bill and, and know what's happening there. Uh, appreciating that a higher interest rate means it's, gener- it's basically costing you more to owe them that money. Um, but 
that's the kind of stuff that I think the vast majority of people can grasp pretty well. And the emotional stuff is uniquely personal and more of a process and an evolutionary thing. You know, and you have to remember when you're, let's say, going on social media for and taking in financial content, um, just like with anything else, it's important to remember what are the incentives of the person who is sharing this information with me. And if someone is, let's say, a financial educator, perhaps they want to show how they know something more or better than another financial educator. So they might, you know, end up leaning towards a topic that's particularly complex or whatever. Uh, I come from the point of view that the basics are typically the best way to go. Um, you know, it's like, uh, I'm not someone doing all these in my personal life, all these exotic investments or anything, you know, it's like, here, put the money in an index fund, uh, the kind of like a mutual fund that basically takes shares of all the different companies. So it's got a wide variety of things kind of contained in one little basket and you can buy a piece, you know, shares of that basket. Uh, this is how I approach things, but you know, financial educators, I think are worried. Oh, if we preach these simple messages, after a while, people will be bored and they're going to be more seduced by the ones who are like, oh, I'm going to teach you this tactic for blah, 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 blah. And maybe that tactic is great, but I'm not sure it's necessarily the best use of your time. Um, if you're like 99% of people, uh, if you really love this stuff and or you really have a lot of money and you really want to know what's going on with your money and whether to do it yourself or to be informed with your advisor. Great, you know, uh, but what I have found to be the most profoundly impactful are the people who are talking about money and how we relate to it, whether on an individual level or in a societal level that helps us then understand how money functions in our society and how we relate to it, right? So we haven't necessarily touched on it yet, but things like gender, race, sexual orientation play a huge role, not just in terms of, uh, you know, the subconscious biases that people might have. And this, we're, we're recording this at a time when the Supreme Court just uh, struck down affirmative action and having race a plus factor in, in university admissions in the US. And uh, so I'm not even saying that you have to have a certain point of view on uh, systemic oppression or discrimination or around race or gender. I believe in those things personally, and I think they're objectively true, but, but even if you don't agree, what I'm talking about here is the differences in terms of how are we perceived and how do we perceive ourselves vis-a-vis -vis money? And where do we come from family-wise? And is that trauma still part of us, right? So for me, I'm Jewish and my family is Polish Jewish. That's my background on both sides, really. Uh, 
my great grandmother and grandmother fled Poland in like uh, 1937, 1938, just before World War II started. They would have almost assuredly been killed. Uh, they fled to Russia, which wasn't a particularly friendly place for Jews either. Uh, and then they went back to Poland after the war and still felt unsafe and left. So for Jewish people, there's often a fear that what we have will be taken from us. And if you look, then you see, interesting, okay, well, why do Jewish people uh, have a high rate of going to college, getting advanced degrees? Um, there's a lot of theories, but one that I think that I find personally persuasive is that we we couldn't invest in land. I mean, first of all, legally at times in certain places, the Jewish people have been ba uh, barred from purchasing land. But even the land that we did own, you know, if you ever see like Fiddler on the Roof, they just say, you got three days to get out. Bye. Um, so someone like that isn't going to trust the land. Why would they become a farmer if they think that the land could get taken away from them at any second? Put in all that effort and 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 cultivate something over years and then they just take it from you? No. Let me get some education because they can't take that away from me. They can't steal that out of my brain, right? So this is an important piece of things because to understand that I come from a lineage that doesn't feel safe on the land, that has an anxiety and fear from things could be taken away at any moment, right? To have had uh, grandparents who were very young and experiencing the Great Depression and its after effects in the United States, um, this matters, right? Another thing about being Jewish, and we talk like stereotypes, they affect us whether or not they're meaningfully true. And what I mean by this is like, there's a stereotype of Jewish people as being cheap. And I was once doing a workshop and I had a participant, we were going through some of these questions and they went like, oh my God, I just realized that, you know, I'm always treating my friends to dinner and my friends don't need it. And I actually don't really have the money, but a big part of why I'm doing that is because I wanna prove to them, at least subconsciously, I am not one of those cheap Jewish people that you think you've heard about. Right. And I can relate to this. There's also, and you know, the stereotype of oh, Jewish people are good with money. Right. So how much shame there is for me if I feel like I'm doing something bad with money, if I'm making a mistake. And this is really something I've dealt with. And, you know, how much is from that versus other things? It's hard to unpack, but these explorations can really, really help you understand. And something you alluded to before, as is that like one way or the other, like to the extremes, uh, I see this a lot, right? Like people who, let's say, grew up in, in poverty, uh, they go to extremes, but I think that it's like this, two sides of the same coin. So it'd be like either I am going to spend as little as possible and be as vigilant as possible, or, well, you can't count on money ever being there. So as soon as I have it, I'm just going to enjoy it because it might be gone tomorrow, right? Um, both those people are still reacting from a place of fear, uh, but, you know, it manifests itself in kind of different 
different ways. Um, and I think these explorations are really important, right? Because we ingest these stigmas, these fears that our parents have, that our community has, uh, that in, in terms of the way society reacts to us, I mean, there was a whole derogatory narrative in the U.S. around what they called welfare queens. And it was very gendered and very racialized folks that Black women as like, look at them, like just taking from the system. And, and the numbers don't bear it out. And yet this narrative was very widespread in like the 80s and it leaves its mark right and then like the you see families and people who have shame and stigma around uh receiving government benefits or support right and and, and we're talking about a complex thing here you know how i would think about it is subtly people don't want to be associated with being a welfare queen and being a black woman and that could be a black person a woman a white person a man everybody's like they don't want to be associated with that subconsciously. And so they have shame and they don't take the government benefits that could actually help them improve their situation. Right. And so it gets really complex and tied up. Right. And this is one of the reasons that I love this stuff is not only helping couples resolve their conflicts, uh, but because money, it's not a historical, it's not in a vacuum. History matters context matters narratives matter both the ones in our head and the ones outside our head and how they're similar or different and so it really does play in and uh you know there are important also historical effects of having wealth and property or not uh and there's a lot there around gender and race as well um and the play the way of how the mindsets that we created or that that led to to cope with our surroundings and our situations good or bad right now some of those have been <laughs> passed on to us in, in whatever way and it becomes our job to to unpack those to notice how they are aligned for us or how they're not aligned and what we need to do to shift the ones that aren't aligned that self-awareness that you've spoken about, it extends to everything, our life histories, our ancestors, our society. And I really have this image that, yeah, you, you begin the conversation about money, but extends into everything. What would be your ad advice when you're, for someone who, you know, is working, who has low income, who maybe doesn't have generational wealth, and perhaps is level, facing levels of systemic oppression, um, what would be your advice um, for, for someone in that kind of situation when it comes to healing that relationship to money and also hopefully developing sort of that sense of financial abundance? My advice would be to seek out people who are wanting to grow in similar ways and build community or learn from them. Uh, for example, Rich and Regular, it's uh, Julian and, and Kirsten Saunders. They are a married couple who 
do great work on money and financial independence. And they are black and they talk about finances and wealth and how their experience as black people in America, how that all interplays and intersects. And uh, it's, you know, there's a broader audience for that message than just black Americans. Um, and I don't think you necessarily have to be, have a marginalized racial identity either to to benefit from what they do. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're folks like that who are putting out really thoughtful content about these things. Um, and, you know, that's where I would go. I mean, don't get me wrong, when I work with my clients, even though I am white or white passing and Jewish, whatever you, however you prefer to say it, uh, we talk about this stuff, right? But in the context of somebody who's not necessarily working with a coach, I think there are just a lot of people out there who are doing great work. Um, and also even within that different angles, some people who are, uh, talk a lot more about, uh, the impacts of race or gender. I mean, Stephanie O'Connell does well, O'Connell Rodriguez does tremendous work around gender and money. And uh, Jen Hemphill does great work around money. Uh, and in particular for her experience as a Latina, like, and speaking to that, uh, there's also Money Smart Latina, I think is the social media handle. I mean, there's there's a lot of great folks out there. Uh, hey Berna, like H-E-Y-B-E-R-N-A, does phenomenal work around money and millennials and all these other identities and how they may affect things and uh, just trying to bring more people in a healthy conversation about money. You know, I don't think there's any one advice. And if there is, I'm not sure that I have it, but um, I would say seek out people with relatable struggles um, personally and or uh, on social media or uh, books or studies. I mean, and just just start from wherever you are, have that be where you started and then just take one next step forward. You know, it's not the kind of thing that you're gonna figure out overnight and maybe not ever uh, in terms of figure it out, whatever that means, right? Um, I think of it as an ongoing process. And, you know, if you could be 10% better today, uh, a year from now versus today, right? Okay, um, that might be a huge difference maker over time. And, you know, finding people who think and talk about and experience similar types of things, um, it's not that what they say is correct or gospel, but they can then prompt you to think and stir up things inside of you. And then you can say, okay, yeah, what, what do I see in there for me that will help me move forward? Hmm. Yeah, connecting to that community and helping it and using it as service to spark your own your own journey, your own self-reflection. We had this base 
idea in our world that more money equals more happiness. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a very, it's a very powerful, alluring idea. You know, what do you think about this as a, in, in, and in your experience, financial coach, couples, financial coach, to what extent is that idea true? Yeah. So there's definitely this idea. And I remember that for a long time, they had supposedly done studies and they found that after a certain point, I think at the time it was like 70,000 us dollars a year or something after that it each dollar just wasn't worth nearly as much um then i've seen some studies recently where they're like yeah actually that's not true the number is way higher than that um even adjusted for like inflation in my experience i mean i have a very self-selected group of people who come to me so i'm hesitant to draw too many conclusions about like something like this uh because i mean people who are perfectly happy with their money situation and everything's comfortable and chill and they're working as a team they don't come to me right they don't they don't need additional support and they don't need to pay for it uh but i certainly think that no matter how much wealth you come from or have or accrue you can certainly still have a very stressful experience of life, still have a lot of anxiety, neuroses, fears, worries. Um, And that's true of money, but also many other aspects of life. I mean, first of all, money is not the only thing that matters, right? Um, There's certain, for example, think about physical health issues that, you know, money might help you get better treatment but if you've got chronic back pain like doesn't matter 1 million 10 million 100 million like it's going to be uncomfortable you know um a big part of it as is being able to confront whatever are the things that are scary to you around money that also brings you a sense of like empowerment and a sense of self and identity in a good way. And that can help you kind of let go a little bit. If if you are always like avoiding it or, or fighting against it or hiding from it, that can kind of diminish your spirit. Um, if you confront it and look at it and are real with it, sometimes that alone can really open things up. But let me also be real about if your income is at a certain low enough number yeah that makes life quite difficult right i mean things like struggling to keep the lights on or food on the table or healthy food which is a function of uh not just how much money you have but also perhaps where you live whether there is access to healthy food and that's correlated strongly with wealth and and uh, you know, how nice a neighborhood is or not, for example. Um, so it definitely, definitely matters. And, you know, I, I think that, yeah, more money does help you be able to afford nicer things, have nicer experiences. Doesn't mean that you can't have a lot of money and still be unhappy or miserable or anxious. Um, and so, you know, it's like, there's not 
one particular answer, but I think my intuition on it is having enough money so that you're not struggling to pay the bills and put food on the table, have a roof over your head, kind of the like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like that kind of first couple of layers. If those things are attended to, that's the first really key hurdle financially. And then I think above that, on average, the more you have, all else equal, that is a positive thing. But in any particular circumstance, it can, the person might still have a difficult relationship with money or still feel very stressed and anxious. There's a question whether too much money can turn a person and make it a worse person or whatever. I well, is that I notion of you know, there's that notion of greed, right? At some point it becomes, is that um, you know, at what point might one realize, okay, this is no longer about my needs. This is actually a point of greediness, or maybe that concept isn't even useful. I, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, my my first instinct is just like, okay, well, how are they getting that money? Um, you know, is there are they knowingly exploiting people who are vulnerable, for example? Okay, you know, maybe we can more easily call that greed, but like somebody who performs better at their job in a, you know, a particular arm of a big company that it's not clear at all how their work relates to, you know, let's say uh, lower paid workers or consumers. This, these are tough questions. Um, and you know, if you're fortunate to have a lot of income and, or an inheritance or trust fund or things like that, um, there are a lot of organizations who do really thoughtful work. Uh, resource generation is a big one as far as like helping you understand your own relationship to that money and, uh, how you might leverage your resources to help create a, a healthier world um, in a way that is actually aligned with values you do share. Uh, so, yeah, I don't have a, I wouldn't say I have a great answer for you in particular, but uh, maybe some places to poke around. I really, well, I, one thing that you consistently do and I'm seeing is that you keep opening up to the system. What's around, where's the money coming from? Where's it going? So instead of the judgment of its greed, it's it's similar to what you're saying about narratives. It's it's expanding our vision of what we're looking at, which I think is a beautiful invitation in regards to money. I have one last question for you. You are specifically a couples coach, a financial mm -hmm. coach, and you mentioned on your website that finances are the number one relationship stressor and key predictor of divorce. My last question is, why is this? Why is it that money is this first stressor and a key predictor of <laughs> divorce? First of all, money is still a taboo topic. Second of all, you can't really outrun it because money matters every day. We're buying things, we're paying bills, we're working 40 hours a week or more to earn money. Um, so it's really kind of, ever present for us. Um, the other thing is that I think in addition to money being taboo, it's very complex in that, as we've touched on today, uh, hopefully persuasively, is that it, it's tied to many other aspects of 
your identity and who you are for yourself and for other people and uh, history and all kinds of things play in, which makes it extremely complex. Um, and so take something that's complex, but also taboo, it's going to lead to a lot of touchiness, fear, avoidance, anxiety, that kind of, that kind of world of things. And so now when you take two people and try to put them together and they're trying to merge this area of their lives to whatever degree, it's like hard enough for an individual to feel a sense of empowerment around their finances. Now try to have a group of two feel that way is exponentially more difficult. And then on top of that, add the fact that there are actual tactical, technical, strategic skills that do play a role, right? Even though I know I said before, uh, I don't think you need to be like an expert on anywhere near an expert on all things finance, but there still are concepts that are important to know and understand. And I think you kind of mix those all together um, and it shows up this way. Uh, you know, it's like, it's it's very accessible, right? Especially if you see your credit card statement going up, your bank account going down, you know, it's in your face, you kind of can't avoid it. And it's tied to these other things like childcare, like wellness, like uh, just every aspect of your life, you know, what kind of job you have to take and how much you have to work and do you have to stay there? Like there's so many aspects of what can be beautiful or challenging in our lives that money is tied to that it becomes really heavy very quickly for people. Um, and then the one other thing I would just that, at least speaking to, uh, you know, folks around my generation, millennials or a little older, a little younger, it's just that we never had parents who modeled healthy relationships to money and to each other as the parents. Um, you know, we, most of our parents still grew up in a very gendered uh, time as far as money, where the men were still expected to go out and earn the money and be the providers and the, the women to do most of the domestic and emotional uh, labor for the family. And now that a lot of couples are wanting to shift that narrative and have more equitable partnerships, or now that there are couples who are not heterosexual male, heterosexual female couples as well, right? Um, it's like, well, we haven't seen this before. So it, it persists as a, a difficult topic. Uh, my hope is that over time we can demystify it and, uh, you know, give people enough of those baseline skills in terms of self-awareness and also strategic side of personal finance so that it doesn't have to be so scary anymore. And when you got two people, if they're not both keen on coming to the table, if just one person is like, uh-uh, that can usually, you know, torpedo the whole thing. Uh, so I think that's another reason. And then when you don't talk about it, of course, it can become an issue over time. Uh, but hopefully that's uh, the work we're doing here is to change some of that. Well, cheers to cheers to you for doing this taboo, complex, important work and helping people 
develop these deeper relationships, more honest, more more aware, more connected to their their stories. Thank you so much, Adam, for for joining joining me today. I invite anyone who's looking as well for couples financial coaching to to reach out to you. Absolutely, and frankly, even if you're looking for an individual coach, I have a lot of folks who are specialists in different areas. I'm always happy to send you their way. Great. Thanks so much, Adam.